What must one do to make one's future secure? How can we obtain security, stability, and success? How should we go about it? Well, this morning, we are introduced to a process of decline for Saul's descendants and the continual elevation of David and his followers. Saul's family grows weaker and weaker, while David and his followers grow stronger and stronger. The key verse is the first verse in the chapter. It sets the tone and gives us the theme. If you look at verse 1, it says, There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. So chapter 3 and following describes this process of David growing stronger and stronger, and Saul's house growing weaker and weaker. So what is the difference between Saul's house and David's house? Why does one grow stronger and stronger and the other grow weaker and weaker? Well, the ultimate answer comes in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10, where it reads, David became greater and greater, for the Lord the God of hosts was with him. That's the bottom line. That's the simple answer. God was on the side of David. God had chosen David to be the next king over Israel, not Ishbosheth. And so, even though there is war, even though there is hardship, even though there is obstructionist mentality going on, nonetheless, Saul's family will grow weaker and weaker, and David will grow stronger and stronger because God is on their side. Today, we are introduced primarily to the aspect of Saul's family growing weaker and weaker, because they're not trusting in the Lord, but rather they are scheming and plotting and planning, but we're going to see to no avail, to, to no avail. So what does this process look like of the scheming and the planning and of David just simply trusting and relying upon the Lord? Well, first, the house of David is growing stronger and stronger, as it says in verse 1. David grew stronger and stronger. And now we are introduced to one way in which David's house is growing stronger and stronger, and that is numerically. <laughs> numerically. Uh, it's increasing in size. If you look at verse 2 and following. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. And his second, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And the third, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And sixth, Ithraim of Egla, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. So David's family is increasing numerically. Now we're introduced to the idea that Saul's house, if you will, his descendants are growing weaker and weaker. And the unfolding narrative of Saul's house becoming weaker and weaker is the essence of what follows. Saul's house is becoming weaker through Abner's self-seeking advancement. If you look at verse 6, it says, While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now there's a parody, if you will, there's an oxymoron, and that is that 
Saul's house is growing stronger and stronger, and Abner is making himself, uh, excuse me, Saul's house is growing weaker and weaker, and Abner is making himself stronger and stronger in Saul's house. Abner is not a descendant of Saul. He's not in line to be king after Saul. But Abner is going to be maneuvering. (laughs) He's going to be scheming, he's going to be plotting, he's going to be planning in order to make himself stronger, in order to make himself uh, more of a force in the kingdom in Israel. And through that process, it's going to be an undermining of Isbosheth and of Saul's family. Abner is maneuvering to make himself strong in a rather peculiar way to us, and that is that he's having a relationship with Saul's concubine, verse 7. Now, Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? So he had a sexual relationship with uh, this concubine of Ishbosheth's father. That's what's stressed. This is Saul's concubine. Now, whether or not Abner actually committed this act is not stated, but most likely he did. Uh, It is probably so. And it has ramifications for the throne and who was next in line. We are going to meet this phenomenon of a person seeking to get ahead by having a relationship with a previous king's wife or concubine repeatedly in the books of Samuel and Kings. So this isn't something abnormal in the culture and in the time. That this was a way of sticking one's claim, if you will, on future power in the kingdom by having a relationship with one of the wives or concubines of the previous now dead king. Perhaps the most instructive uh, passage in this particular regard is found in 1 Kings chapter 2, 17 to 25. You don't need to re, uh, turn there, but let me just read it for you. It starts with this relationship between Adjaniah and Solomon. Ad, Adjaniah wants to be king after David. But Solomon has been uh, established as king. And Adjaniah is going to make a play on the kingship. And it starts in 1 Kings chapter 2, listen as I read, verses 17 and following. And he, that is Adonai, just said, Please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, he's talking to his mother, to give me Abishag the Shumanite as my wife. Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak to you for the king. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. <coughs> Then he sat on the throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag the Shumanite be given to Adonijah your brother as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shumanite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. For he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. 
Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of my father David, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. So this was a way of making a play on the kingship. So Ishbosheth calls him out on having this relationship with his father's concubine. Abner takes strong offense at being reprimanded in verse 8 of chapter 3. Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth. And he's angered for three particular reasons in the text. First, he's angry because uh, he feels disrespected, verse 8. Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog? Head of Judah, is that all you think of me? Am I just a castaway? Am I, am I a dog? Am I no significance? Am I not important to you? So he feels disrespected. Secondly, he feels unappreciated. Notice in verse uh, 8. To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. He says, I'm protecting you. I'm watching over you. I am keeping you. The only reason you're king is because of me. And now you're going to accuse me of undermining you and trying to take away your kingdom. And so he feels unappreciated that Ishbosheth has not at all thought highly of Abner and all that he has done for Ishbosheth. And Abner becomes angry because he's unrewarded. At the end of verse 8, with the words, And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. You say that I have done something wrong. You say that I have done something that is inappropriate. In essence, you are saying that my role in this kingdom is insignificant. I deserve something, he is saying, for my faithfulness to you, for my protecting you from David. You owe me, he is saying. So he's angry. And so Abner announces that he is changing sides, and he's going to establish David in the kingship as opposed to Ishbosheth, verses 9 and 10. God, do so to Abner and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Now another irony here, and that is that Abner is making reference to what God had sworn to do, and that is to make David the next king over all Israel. The entirety, from Dan to Beersheba, from one end of the kingdom to the other. God has sworn that. God has promised that, he says, to David. And he says, now I'm going to work to bring that to pass. 
the end of verse 9. If I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. But we must keep in mind that, that Abner is not changing sides out of an allegiance to God. Abner does not find religion, as it were, in this moment. This is not an epiphany for Abner in which now he's placing his faith and trust in the Lord. Now, Abner had no qualms in the chapter before of seeking to take away the kingdom from David. Abner could care less that God had chosen David as the next king. But he's using this as an argument for convenience. He's actually exploiting God at this point. He's using God as an excuse. He's saying to a religious people, you ought to be concerned with what God says. And God said that David is to be the next king, not Ishbosheth. You are doing wrong. But it's a scheme, it's a plan. It's an exploitation, trying to make himself secure in his position. And so we see the degree of Abner's strength and Isposes's weakness. Verse 11, and Isposes could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. He feared him. Ishbosheth realizes that he can't stand in opposition to Abner. If Abner wants Ishbosheth killed, he can do it. He can do it. So Ishbosheth kind of has to retreat and just back off and let Abner do whatever Abner wants to do. So Abner is growing stronger and stronger. He is a force with which to reckon. And he feels mightily secure. So then Abner sought to make himself strong in the house of David by making a covenant with David. He's now switched sides, and now he's going to be on David's side to help him to make king, and he's trying to secure himself in David's house. All right? Again, trying to make himself stronger and stronger through striving and scheming. So 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 12, Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel over to you. In essence, he's saying to David, or he says, To whom does this land belong? <laughs> David, who are you really having to fight here? David, it's not Ishbosheth, it's me. I'm the one in control of this situation. So what you need to do is make a covenant with me. You make a covenant with me and everything's fine. End of verse 12. Make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel over to you. I can hand this to you, David, if you just make a deal with me. David agrees to enter into a covenant with Abner. Verse 13. And he said, good, I will make a covenant with you. That covenant was a deal that Abner would give the kingdom 
to David, and David in return would protect and secure Abner and make him strong. David is growing stronger and stronger. The house of Saul is growing weaker and weaker. Now there's a unique irony here, and that is David confronts Ibbosheth of the way in which David had been disgraced through David's wife. If you look at verse 14. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michael, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. If you will remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, when Saul is seeking to disgrace David, and when Saul is refusing to acknowledge God's will and making David the next king over Israel, that the way that he chooses to disgrace <coughs> the way that he chooses to disgrace David and also to mitigate David's claims upon the throne was to give Michael, if you remember, who is Saul's daughter, who had already been given to David as wife for two reasons. One, as a reward for having fought Goliath. And Saul said, whoever fights Goliath and defeats him, I will give my daughter to him. And then he pays this dowry price of a hundred foreskins of, of uh, Philistine uh, to, to Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 44, Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Pathy, the son of Laish, who was of Galem. Ishbosheth had been disgraced and challenged by a relationship that Abner had to Saul's concubine. So what does David do? David turns around and says to Ishbosheth, I want my wife back that your father gave to another man in order to disgrace me and to discredit me. So, Ishbosheth, I want my wife back. So verse 15. Ishbosheth sent and took her, that's Michael, from her husband Patiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Behurim. Then Abner said to him, Go return. And he returned. So we see Ishbosheth and Abner involved in this getting David's wife back. This is a way of David growing stronger and stronger, and Saul's house growing weaker and weaker. So Abner, as I say, is going to uh, strike this deal with David. And David honors Abner in verse 20. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. So he receives them with honor, he receives them with dignity, and uh, has a feast for him. 
And then Abner strikes the deal. Verse 21, Abner said to David, I will rise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So Abner makes himself secure. End of verse 21. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. He went in peace. David is good with Abner. David is not going to punish Abner for his act of rebellion in chapter 2. He's not going to hold him accountable. He's going to promote him. He's doing all this thing. So Abner goes away thinking, wow, (laughs) I I got it made. I I made a covenant with the new king. Uh, I'm going to give him all the land, all the prosperity. I'm secure. But Abner's making himself strong and secure through a covenant with David, was of no advantage. Abner dies at the hand of Joab. That's the primary thought of the next passage. Looking at verses 22 to 27. Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner the son of Ner came to the king and he has let him go. And he has gone in peace. Notice how that's repeated three times. He's gone in peace. He's gone in peace. He's gone in peace. David's letting him go. David's going to honor him. Everything's cool between Abner and David. Verse 24, then Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away? So that he's gone. You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you were doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner and they brought him back from the cistern of Sisera, but David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Azahel, his brother. This is a crucial point in the text. Abner's scheming did not protect him. Even though he was able to wrangle this covenant between David and himself, even though he had struck this deal that I will hand the kingdom over to you and you be at peace with me, Even though he had David's stamp of approval on the covenant, he had David's word that all would be peaceful for Abner, he still ends up dead. He still ends up paying for all that he had done. Abner, Though he thought himself so smart in exploiting God and using God as a foil for what he's doing and saying this is what God wants, nevertheless, nevertheless, Abner dies. David was innocent. He had nothing to do with all of this. The first main point is that even the king, even David himself, 
could not guarantee the protection and safety of Abner. It was beyond David's ability. It was beyond David's control. Abner was looking to the most powerful man at that time to be his source of security. But it availed nothing. For he was trusting in a king. He was not trusting in the Lord. The next stress is that David is totally innocent in regards to Abner's death because David had given his word. David had made a covenant. David had entered into agreement of which he was going to be accountable before God. That's the focus of a covenant. That God would hold him accountable if David did not keep his word. And that was that David was going to protect Abner. But David didn't protect Abner. So what are we to think about that? Well, the stress text the text stresses that David is innocent. He's innocent of all wrongdoing in relationship to Abner. First, David is grieved by Abner's death, verses 31 to 34. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who are with him, tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered as one falls before the wicked you have fallen. And all the people wept over him. Abner was killed by deception. Here is this great warrior, here is this great fighter. And Abner says, you did not die a hero's death. You were not taken captive. You were not overcome. You were not bound. You were lied to. You were deceived. Joab killed you. And all the people wept. David's response to Abner's death brought favor with the people, verse 35. And all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it. And it pleased them. And now this next amazing statement is everything that the king did pleased all the people. Man, where have you ever heard that before? That everything that a king does pleases all the people. That's God's being with David and making him stronger and stronger. The people appreciated David. The people understood that David is innocent of breaking his covenant with Abner. Verse 37 and following. So all the people, all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put Abner, the son of Ner, to death. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? They knew that David has kept his word. They knew that David hadn't broken his covenant. They knew that David wasn't at fault. 
They put the blame where the blame deserved, and that was on Joab. Again, three times it is stressed in the text that David is innocent of wrongdoing. First, is found at the end of verse 26. But David did not know about it. Then in verse 37, so all the people of Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put Abner, the son of Ner, to death. Verse 28, and afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. God will not find fault with me. Or I did not break the covenant. This was Joab's doing. This may seem like a strange text to have before we take communion. What in the world does this have to do with communion as we celebrate the Lord's table together? As we enter into the partaking of the symbolic eating of the bread and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing is that David demonstrates a Christ-like spirit in the way in which David cared for and ruled over his people. David was a godly king, and he acted in a godly manner. David had been faithful to his word. He had been faithful to the covenant, and he says, I am guiltless before, before God. But he says something else that's extremely instructive for us, and that's found in verse 39. That is, he says, and I was gentle today, though anointed king. I was gentle today. Circle that. That is a very, very important word. I was gentle today. Even though I was anointed king. Even though I have certain rights and prerogatives. Even though I am king over Israel. I acted in a humble and gentle way. I forgave Abner and his rebellion. I defended Abner in his rebellion. I was gracious to Abner in his rebellion. He did not seek to get even with either Abner or ultimately Joab also. He left that in the Lord's hand. He was Christ-like. Jesus, in inviting us to be a part of his kingdom, in reaching out to us, to be under his rule and his authority, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you. A yoke was a restraining instrument that was placed on the shoulders of oxen. Oxen would have this yoke placed upon them so that two oxen could work together side by side. 
in order to plow the fields and do other things. But the, the idea of, of yoke is servanthood. It's subservience. It's bringing yourself under the authority of another. You see, oxen have a master. Oxen have someone that they are serving in order to plow the fields. The farmer. And Jesus says to people, take my yoke upon you. Be a part of my kingdom. Submit to my authority, my rule over you. Follow my ways. Keep my word. Do my bidding. Well, why would anybody want to do that? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I'm gentle. I forgive. I make peace with those who were rebellious towards me. I welcome them into my kingdom. I make covenants with them. And they will find rest. Abner thought he would find rest through making a covenant with David. Abner was right in putting his trust in David because David was gentle. David was forgiving. David was willing to forget. David was even willing to promote Abner in his kingdom. But David isn't God. And David could not secure his promise. He was innocent. He was limited. He did not know all that was taking place. Christ knows all things. Not only does Christ know all things, he governs and rules over all things. So his promises always come true. His promises can always be relied upon. The rest, the peace that you have in Christ is never misplaced. You will not wake up one day and find out that though you have a promise of peace from the king, Someone else has usurped the king's authority and has done you in. Even the evil one, even Satan himself, cannot do anything to us that's outside of the will of the king, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said concerning Communion. This is the covenant in my blood. Jesus has made promises to us of peace, of acceptance, of his guarding us, of his keeping us. Earthly covenants can be broken. Heavenly covenants cannot. David 
in his kingship, resigned himself to be dependent upon the Lord God. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 39, it reads, And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. They have acted in a way that I would not act. They weren't king. Well, they acted harshly, and, and they sought a justice that wasn't a justice. He says, the Lord repaid the evil door according to his wickedness. He was going to entrust this to God. And God is going to deal not only with Abner, but God is going to deal with Joab in the future. David's going to leave it in God's hands. As we go to communion this morning, I want you to think of two things. First of all, that through Christ's death, through his blood, a covenant has been established. A covenant primarily between Christ and the Father, but with us as well. And that covenant, that promise is that we will never be left or forsaken. That our sins are forgiven. That we are at peace with God. That all our sin, all our rebellion, all our wrongdoing will be forgotten because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That covenant is sure. It will never be broken. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the only security that you can have in life is the security you find in Lord Jesus Christ. To make yourself strong. Abner was seeking to make himself strong. He was striving, he was scheming, he was plotting, he was planning for his future. But he was relying upon himself and not God. He gave lip service in one moment to God. But even that was an exploitation. Even that was trying to use God for his purposes. Of course, to no avail. To no avail. The only security we have in God. All of our earthly scheming and planning. Though we may think that we have made ourselves secure. Even though we think that we have a financial plan. Even though we may think that we have the right people on our side. Even though we have maneuvered and plotted. Even David couldn't protect Abner in the end. So I'm going to ask our brethren to come forward. And we're going to partake of communion at this time. Thinking about this covenant that we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ of his peace and of his blessing. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to partake of communion. If you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we ask that you would refrain, not because of any rule that we have as a church, but because of what the Word of God says concerning our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to partake of communion worthily, we need to know the Lord Jesus. Brethren, if you would come forward. As they come forward,